Welcome to For What It's Worth, a podcast from Raymond James, designed to help you plan, invest, and live smarter. Hi, listeners, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lenson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find this episode and more For What It's Worth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and RaymondJames.com. According to the FBI's 2021 Internet Crime Report, Americans reported a record number of internet crimes last year, with potential losses reaching nearly $7 billion. What type of schemes should you be watching out for, and how can you help keep yourself and your loved ones from falling for them? Here to provide some of that guidance, I'm really pleased to introduce our featured guest, Raymond James Chief IT Security Officer, Todd Ferguson. Todd, thank you for sitting down with me today. Thanks for having me. Those are some huge numbers, uh, $6.9 billion of potential losses from internet crimes last year. What's driving that number higher? Well, first of all, I think that that number is probably much higher because a lot of it goes unreported. Um, really, I think what's driving it is that the the, the cyber criminals are, are being successful with it, right? So they're really doubling down in, in exercising this. So you think nearly $7 billion is actually lower than the total? I think total. it's, yeah, there's a lot that goes underreported, especially when it comes to some of the smaller ransomware incidents. And the goal is for them to make money? Absolutely. What effect did you see the pandemic have on this? Do you think that was a factor in last year's numbers being as high as they were? Yeah, the pandemic absolutely played a part in it in terms of, well, the, the, the criminals changed some of their lures, right, and in phishing-related emails that were themed around pandemic, pandemic response. But also they, they knew that a lot of folks were operating outside their normal, you know, um, out of the office. So they may not have some of the same security controls that they had otherwise when they're in the office. So it's both kind of that technical side of maybe they didn't have all the same protections that they would when they're working in office and that kind of emotional side of using the headlines and the fear and the uncertainty to maybe drive more people falling for these scams. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the phishing related, you know, that were themed with COVID. Let's talk about some different types of cyber threats. We've got a couple here that we're going to go through. We'd love if you could tell us just a little bit about each one, maybe some of the ways that they can play out and how we can protect ourselves. Let's talk about malware. Where do we start with malware? Yeah, so, I mean, malware, I mean, generally these days, it's it's not themed uh, to do anything but try and, and get some financial gain, right? So either by stealing your passwords, implementing ransomware, uh, stealing an account, monitoring in some way, or selling you, the access to your computer to somebody else to use in another way. How could this look like in a situation that plays out? What would what would the person on the end of this scam see or experience? Uh, it could be delivered. Most of it comes via email, but it also could be delivered by, you know, going to a site that has uh, that's been compromised. Uh, either way, I mean, the, the the general protections are kind of the same, right? You need to have good antivirus software, change your passwords often, and not clicking on the attachments, yeah, the not, links, definitely don't click that. on things that you didn't expect to get. What about ransomware? You mentioned that as well. How does ransomware work? So ransomware, and again, we're seeing a pretty large uptick in this, and that the the adversaries are uh, encrypting your computer and then charging you to decrypt it. Uh, the the change that we've really seen is they're not doing it so much more on an individual basis any longer. Any longer, they're more doing it on a corporate, like hey, it's called big game hunting. Let's get into an organization, find out what. Um, will make them likely to pay. Let's encrypt a large swath of their computing resources and then basically ransom them. 
just anecdotally, do the entities that maybe experience this, do they end up having to pay? Are there workarounds? I'm sure there are dedicated teams fighting this all the time. Yeah, there's definitely been some cases of, um, you know, if you look, Colonial Pipeline was, you know, they paid. Um, and now they still had to recover from their backups. Some folks don't pay and just recover from backup, or some folks do pay and, and then recover that way. And you mentioned this is maybe less popular now with individuals than it was or just compared to business attacks? Uh, they're definitely, they've shifted towards the big game hunting, right? Instead of it going after the individual, not that it doesn't still occur on occasion, but um, there for a while that was their primary. It was you know, kind of the mass marketing scheme, if you will. And now they're really more focused on going after the big, big returns. Let's talk about social engineering. And this is going to be an interesting one. And I think one that will be very applicable for individuals. How does social engineering work and what would that look like to somebody who's on the receiving end of one of these scams? Yeah, it could be something that is a um, a fake site that looks like, you know, your banking site that was sent to you. Hey, we need you to enter your credentials. Again, they're trying to steal something for future use. Uh, it could be just simply an email that says, hey, I need you to send some gift cards, right? A lot of these are different types of social engineering, but they generally have the same type outcome. They, they want to get some type of financial gain either by stealing something for uh, later use or enticing you to make maybe a wire transfer, gift card purchase, et cetera. Let's talk about some of those, you know, specific applications of this, because I know they can sound silly to those that have heard of them, but people are falling for these all the time. So you mentioned, you know, a gift card scam. How does that work? What does it look like? Yeah, so usually what the, the, the bad guys will do is they'll send you an email. Um, it'll make it look like it's probably coming from your boss or your boss's boss or maybe somebody in legal. It says, hey, I need you to buy these gift cards, and I need you to take a, a picture of them to send me the pins, you know, in, in the back of the cards. Um, and what they're going to do is they're going to immediately turn around and use that, again, for financial gain. I've heard of this even, you mentioned it could be an email that looks like it's coming from a manager or someone in your workplace. I've heard anecdotally even, you know, the the calls of someone pretending to be a, a grandkid in distress and I need you to send gift cards of all things in, yes. in those kinds of situations too. Basically, gift cards should throw up a red flag, yeah, it sounds cards, like. Anybody who's asking you to buy gift cards you know, via email, it should be immediately suspicious. Uh, one of the other ways um, I've heard that this can play out is you know, a CEO asking for some sort of wire. How, do, how does that play out? Again, they're, they're going to spoof the CEO's email address, or at least make it look like it's coming from the CEO. And usually it'll have some level of secrecy to it. Hey, we're, we're trying to close this business deal, but we can't let anybody else know. So I need you to, to execute this for us and not really ask a lot of questions. That's, again, probably an immediate indicator that uh, something's not right. A theme with all of these, it sounds like, is really double-checking, is the email actually coming from yeah. who you think it is? Yeah. Uh, double-checking the address, making sure it sounds like them. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, if something doesn't sound right, pick up the phone and ask and call somebody. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about IRS scams. This is the one that probably seasonally everybody experiences to some degree. It's a voicemail or a phone call from the IRS saying that you owe money. I actually received one of these when I was in high school before I was even filing taxes. How did these scams look and what should we keep an eye out for? So again, a lot of times they will be via a phone call and they're, they're acting on your fear that, hey, you're in trouble with the IRS, you owe some money. They're usually going to have some type of threat of uh, a consequence. The IRS is never going to call you. They're not that personal. They're going to send you a letter, right? And then it's going to come in the mail. So IRS isn't going to call you. Microsoft isn't going to call you. So that's the first indicator. Let's talk a, a little bit more about keeping ourselves and especially our loved ones safe. 
how do these fraudsters, these cyber criminals, choose their targets? Are they casting a wide net or are they really focusing in on those that could be more vulnerable? There's a bit of both. I mean, so there's definitely um, they are casting a wide net in terms of, you know, some of these mass marketing, like yeah, I'm going to send as many emails as I can and see who responds. But then there are definitely ones that where they target as well. So think about the gift card CEO. That's a very targeted. They, they had to do some research to know who the CEO was and to reach out to somebody internally. Right. So that's not done in mass. Um, but there's definitely both that are happening you know, out there. If our listeners have loved ones that they feel like might be more at risk for falling for these, especially maybe, you know, grandparents, older parents, um, somebody who just maybe is more likely to fall for one of these scams, what are some of the steps we can take to try and help keep them safe? Well, there's some good software packages out there that a lot of times have um, things that are not just antivirus, but they're looking for whether the site is safe. That's very helpful. But just talking to them. Right. And talking to them about this, you know, hey, no, the IRS is never going to call you. Microsoft's never going to call you for support. Um, Don't ever give anybody remote access to your computer because they say they're trying to help you. Right. You know, if you didn't initiate that call, they're not reaching out to you. Talking about these scams, keeping them top of mind so that maybe it'll it'll ring a bell when one happens that, hey, I remember hearing about this. This probably isn't legitimate. Yes. What should you do if you think your loved one is at risk of falling for these or maybe has fallen for one? What are the steps you can take if you think that maybe your security has been compromised? Well, if you think your security has been compromised, um, first of all, you know, again, getting some good software packages on, on your PC or your laptop, whatever you may have. Um, and making sure that they're running and they're up to date, making sure you stay patched. But if you think you've been compromised, go check your credit. Lock your credit file if you don't believe that you're going to be opening up credit. There's no reason that you shouldn't have you know that locked unless there's something you really feel like you're going to do. Um, because again, once they get this access, they're going to turn around and use it. Um, you know, in terms of if you think something's happened to your financial accounts, call your financial providers, your bank, your financial advisor, your credit card companies. They're very, they're all very familiar with this, and they have lockdown procedures. A lot of times, they're going to reissue your account, change it completely. Sounds like acting quickly here is in your best interest. I imagine that um, it can probably be embarrassing or just saddening when you realize that maybe I I fell for it. I was somebody who fell for it. But really taking those next steps and and moving forward can maybe help um, limit or minimize the impact. Yeah, absolutely. Just again, reach out as soon as you if even if you think it's something suspicious, reach out. And if if you find out it's not no harm, no foul, right? Yeah, better (laughs) safe than sorry with all of these. Uh, Todd, we're so appreciative for your insights around this topic. If our listeners take away one step or one action, one takeaway from our conversation, what would you recommend to them? The number one thing I can recommend is um, to turn on multi-factor authentication, what's sometimes called two-step authentication. This is often where as you log in, you use your username, your password, and then a code will be sent to your phone, maybe an email or an authenticator app. Um, But what we see time and time again is once people get a really good password, they tend to reuse it over and over again. And these, you know, these criminals, once they steal the password, they may have stolen it from something completely unrelated, your Twitter account. And now they're going to go try that password on your financial accounts to see if they're successful. So implement that. That's the first thing I can, it's not infallible, but it's absolutely, uh, it it takes a lot of plays out of the, the bad guy's hands. And it seems to be available at, at more and more sites. It seems like almost any any account that you have now, it's largely an option to turn it on if it's not mandatory already. Yeah. And if, if it is an option, turn it on everywhere, right? So your Facebook account, your Gmail account, not just your financial accounts. Again, we see a lot of password reuse. 
Raymond James Chief IT Security Officer Todd Ferguson. Todd, thank you again for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. You can find more episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe. For what it's worth, I'll see you next time. All opinions and information, including any price references or market forecasts, correspond to the recording date listed in this episode's description. Any performance figures noted do not include fees or charges, which would reduce an investor's returns. The information contained in this podcast is not research, nor does it constitute the provision of any investment, financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or recommendations to the listener. Raymond James and its financial advisors do not provide tax or legal advice, and you should discuss any tax or legal matters with the appropriate professional. Past performance is not an indication of future results. There is no assurance any investment strategy will be successful. Investing involves risk, and investors may incur a profit or a loss. Investment products are not deposits, not FDIC and CUA insured, not insured by any government agency, not bank guaranteed, subject to risk and may lose value. Copyright 2020 Raymond James and Associates Inc. Member New York Stock Exchange, SIPC. Copyright 2020 Raymond James Financial Services Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC. Raymond James and Associates Inc. and Raymond James Financial Services Inc. are affiliates of Raymond James Bank.